Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The one who's going to make war is faithful and true, and he's going to make war in righteousness. You see, this will be the truly one and only just war that there's ever been in the, in the truest sense. I'm not saying there haven't been previous just wars, but this will be the, the ultimate in the just war because the one who's waging the war is righteous. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, in a message titled, The Return of the King. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses." Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I've entitled the message today, The Return of the King. And I I think it's obviously uh, an appropriate message because that's really what we're talking about here. When we come to the second coming of Christ, we really come to the main event that all history has been moving toward. This is it. This is the, the climax of history, really. It's the event that all creation has been yearning for the event that all the prophets have longed for, the event that all the saints have prayed for, the return of our King, the second coming of Christ. There are many places in Scripture that speak of this event. Here in Revelation 19, we have it in its chronological context. We see here that it comes at the end of the Great Tribulation. Now, back in chapter 16, as some of you will recall, we have there the description of the bull judgments. The bull judgments are the final phase of of the judgment that will be poured out during the tribulation period. It started, maybe you remember, with the seals being opened, then it moves to the trumpets, and then it, it takes its final shape and form with the bull judgments. It's the final phase of God's judgment on the earth. And included in that is the destruction of Babylon that is described in detail in chapter 17 and 18. But chapter 16 also tells us that the kings of the earth, under the influence of the dragon, who is Satan, the beast, who is the Antichrist, and the false prophet, it tells us that the kings of the earth are gathered for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And they're in... Revelation 16, verse 16, it says, 
And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. The battle is not, as is often stated, the battle of Armageddon. We, we oftentimes refer to it in that way. Uh, but it's really not the battle of Armageddon. You see, Armageddon is the staging area. It is the battle for Jerusalem. That is the final battle. It's the battle of Jerusalem in which Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel will come and rescue Jerusalem from destruction. So the return of the King, remember when Jesus was hanging upon the cross, Pilate put as a placard above him, he wrote these words, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And there Jesus on the cross was laying the righteous foundation for his kingdom. And here in Revelation 19, we see him coming to establish now that kingdom that he laid the foundation for upon the cross. Now, this event is spoken of many different times in the scripture and seen from a number of different perspectives. So I, I wanted to read to you some of the other uh, descriptions of this same event. And I want to read a couple of passages from the Old Testament and then a few passages from the New Testament. So I think it's important that we realize that the coming of the Lord to rule and reign is something that is not just talked about in the book of Revelation or even in the New Testament for that matter. It's something that the prophets, this is what they predicted. And so it was Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied in the 63rd chapter, and he said this, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Who is this? The answer, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I have trodden down the people in my anger, made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. Isaiah, he's predicting the very same event. It's the Lord. He's coming, says coming from Edom, coming from the area uh, east of Israel and coming with his garments stained in red, which of course is a reference to blood. But then Zechariah speaks of this same event as well in the 14th chapter. And this is what Zechariah said. He said, behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil, speaking of the city of Jerusalem, your spoil will be divided in your midst for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken the houses rifled and the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. 
And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west. Thus, the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Zechariah, notice, makes it very clear that this is the battle of Jerusalem. The Lord said, I'm going to bring all, I'm going to gather all of the nations together against Jerusalem. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus spoke of this event. He said immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Paul the Apostle wrote of the same event, 2 Thessalonians 1. He said, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And then one final passage from Jude Verses 14 and 15, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so each one of these passages are really summaries or just different perspectives on the slightly more detailed account that's given to us here in Revelation 19. Now, the reality is none of these give the kind of detail that we would probably wish that they did. And as we look here more closely at Revelation 19, you know, you in some ways you have to sort of read between the lines. In some ways you have to, to fit into Revelation 19 some of the stuff that's said in the Old Testament and other parts of the New Testament. But there's still at the end, there's so many things that the truth is we will just have to live through it to, to see all of the details of it. But I want to just walk us through the verses that we read together initially here in Revelation 19. And so it begins in verse 11. John says, now I saw heaven open. Think about that for a moment. You know, we've read about this in books. Of course, we read it right here in the Bible. We've, we've even seen uh, depictions, maybe not of this exact event, but we've seen these kinds of depictions through our, our modern uh, abilities, you know, with film and, and all of that kind of thing. You know, we've seen these fantastic kinds of things where the heavens open and, you know, supernatural forces come and, you know, most of the time they're coming to invade the earth and, you know, it's a bad thing. But the point that I want to make is this. This is not symbolic language. This is literal. Heaven is going to open and every single person in the world is going to see this event. Every single person is going to see the sign of the Son of Man. As Jesus said there in Matthew 24, then all, all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn as they see heaven open and Christ coming out of the heavens. So, you know, we live in the natural world, the material world, but we coexist with the spiritual world. And there, there have been points in history where the, 
the spiritual world sort of breaks in upon uh, the material world. I think of the story back in the Old Testament in the book of Kings, where the prophet Elisha, he's in the city of Dotham, and he's there and the Syrian army has come and they've surrounded the city to take the prophet and the assistant of the prophet, he, he sees that the armies have surrounded the city and he's, he's overwhelmed by this. He's undone by this. He says, oh, alas, master, look, you know, we're surrounded. And Elisha prays and he says, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opens the eyes of the servant of Elisha and he sees that surrounding the army that's surrounding the city are chariots of fire. He sees that there is a spiritual army that the Lord has surrounded this army with. So that's the reality that exists. We think most of the time of things just strictly in the sense of the material, you know, what we can see, what we can touch, and, and so forth with our senses. But there's a spiritual reality and at this time, that spiritual reality is going to break forth, obviously, for everyone to see in the return of Christ as heaven is open and behold, a white horse. Now this, some of you will remember, we had a similar picture back in the sixth chapter. We saw somebody going forth conquering. They were on a white horse. They went out to conquer, but we noted that that wasn't Jesus Christ, that was the Antichrist. But now here we have the true Christ riding upon a white horse as well. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Some have suggested that God has no right to judge the world. <laughs> Who is God to judge the world? And even some liberally minded Christians have said, well, you know, if, if Jesus is going to come back and, and judge the world or, or if he's going to come back and make war, then what's the difference between Jesus and all the other warmongers that have existed throughout history? You got to be pretty twisted in your theological view to think that way, but some people do. Well, the difference is this. The one who's going to make war is faithful and true, and he's going to make war in righteousness. You see, this will be the truly one and only just war that there's ever been in the, in the truest sense. I'm not saying there haven't been previous just wars, but this will be the, the ultimate in the just war because the one who's waging the war is righteous. And his judgment is going to be a righteous judgment. There will be nothing unfair about it. There will be nothing that anybody in the end would be able to say, well, you know, I don't know if that was right, what, uh, what Jesus did there. No, everything he does will be right. He's faithful. He's true. He's righteous. Yes, he is making war, but he's doing it in righteousness. He's judging and making war. So it is absolutely right and righteous that he does this. And then we have a description. Beside being called faithful and true, we see his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. So the eyes of fire speak of his ability to 
see through everything. So his, his gaze is piercing. There's nothing that's hidden from his sight, as the scriptures tell us about God. So it's, it's kind of a way of describing his, his knowing of all things. So again, he's judging according to absolute truth. That's also contained there in the picture of his eyes being as a flame of fire. And on his head, notice, were many crowns. Many crowns. He is the king of kings. All other kings are uh, submitted to him. And then he had a name written that no one knows except, uh, no one knew except himself. So this is a name that is yet to be disclosed. And when the Lord comes at that time, evidently he will reveal that name. But at, at this point, even at this point in history, this is a name that only he himself knows. But he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Remember the picture from Isaiah 63? The same picture. And his name is called the Word of God. If there's any question as to who John is talking about, he clears it up right here. His name is called the Word of God. Remember, John wrote the gospel. And how did he begin the gospel? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so his name is called the word of God. Of course, he's speaking of none other than Jesus. Jesus is the one that is coming here. And he goes on and he says, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who are these that follow him on white horses? Well, the, the clue that is given to us is in their description or the description of their apparel. Fine linen, white and clean. Another place tells us which is the righteousness of the saints. So the army that's coming with Jesus back to bring judgment upon the earth is a combination of the saints and the angels. We know that the angels are involved in the last judgment. Jesus made that clear. Old Testament passages speak about that. So this is an army that is made up of both angels and saints. The saints that are being referred to here are all of those that have put their faith and trust in Christ and became part of his kingdom, part of his church. So in other words, that's us. That's, that's the church. That's who he's describing here. This is mind-blowing. Stop and think about this. What we're reading about right here, we are going to participate in it. That's the, that's the astounding thing about the book of Revelation. As you're reading through some of this, remember back in the the fifth chapter where there we saw that vision of heaven and there's the one sitting upon the throne, God the Father, and there's the lamb as though he had been slain. He comes and he takes the scroll and there's the, the elders and, and all of the saints break forth. We're going to be there. We're going to be eyewitnesses to that event. And now here's another eyewitness event. And like I was saying earlier, I, I wish there was more detail. You know, like... Uh, like the Lord of the Rings books, for example. I have the Lord of the Rings uh, on my nightstand. And that thing is about, you know, I don't know, a thousand pages or something like that. It's the trilogy. It's all three of the books together. But you know, when you read those battles in there, 
When you read about all of that, there's so much detail that Tolkien gives. Sometimes it's tedious. It's like, okay, let's move on from all those details, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, you get, you get those details and you, you've really got this clear picture in your head. Well, like I said, the Bible doesn't give us that much detail. We're just going to have to wait and see what it's like when we live through it. But that's what's being described here. Jesus comes and the armies of heaven are with him. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And the sword out of his mouth is another way of describing his word. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. This is uh, the promise of the second Psalm. This is what Jesus referred to in writing to the churches that just as he would rule with a rod of iron, those who faithfully followed him, they would be given that same authority. When Jesus sets up his kingdom, the idea of ruling it with a rod of iron is that there will be no resistance that is allowed. There will be no tolerance of any kind of rebellion whatsoever. He's going to rule his kingdom firmly and then he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Remember back in the 17th chapter, it spoke of the Lamb and him being victorious. He is going to trample. The picture of the winepress, of course, is that of of grapes being pressed and the juice flowing, but the picture here is one of blood. And that's why he has a garment dipped in blood. And that's why the Isaiah prophecy, who is this who comes from Edom, whose garments are dyed red? It's because of that judgment that he himself is executing. You see, the thing is, Jesus is the one executing the judgment. It's him. He came humbly as the Savior and died for the sins of the world and has extended a gracious offer to all humanity for the past 2,000 years, the gracious offer of forgiveness of sins based upon the redemptive work that he did on the cross. And we have pictured him as that one who's full of grace, who's full of mercy, who's humble and gentle in heart and all of that. And all of that is true. But... When he comes again, he will come with a different demeanor. He will come as the judge. And he himself will tread the winepress of the wrath of God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The return of the king. The king has come again. He's the king of kings. Now, this is speaking of his position in the future. He's going to establish his kingdom, and there will be kings throughout the earth that, of course, he will be the king over them. He will establish lords throughout the earth, but he will be the lord over them. But it also speaks of the present situation. It's just that presently people do not acknowledge it. Jesus is right now the King of Kings. You know, there's not a single ruler on the planet that does anything that he does not allow for them to do. Men are not autonomous like they think they are. Men are not independent of God like they think they are. 
For the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady. Have you ever prayed to God only to feel like he didn't answer your prayers? Or have you ever wondered, if God can help me, then why doesn't he help me? Many have faced this exact barrier at one point in their life, both Christians and non-Christians alike. Well, in his book, The God I Won't Believe In, Nick Cady addresses this very topic that has hindered so many during different stages of life and that are hindering many today. If you want to understand what the Bible reveals about this topic or other barriers to embracing Christianity, you need to get this book. The book, The God That I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.